Father God, again, 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 we, we come to you somewhat slowly, maybe, not with such boldness as you've requested. Perhaps uh, many other things are on our minds or in our hearts that might prevent the kind of boldness that we should have. But, uh, Father, we know that you've requested it of us, that we would come with simplicity, confidence, faith and boldness before the throne of Almighty God, before your throne, which is a throne of grace because of our Lord Jesus. So, Father, thank you all for all that he's accomplished, that uh, he has uh, done it uh, in the only way that would have been and could have been effective regarding our sins, to take them upon himself and to bear the full penalty for them once and for all. So, Father, thank you that we've been set free from their guilt and shame and and their ultimate uh, punishment. Father, I, I pray that you would give us boldness to share these precious truths with others. We live in a dark time, it seems to us at least, with limited historical acquaintance uh, that our times are darker, but Maybe uh, nothing compared to other times that uh, believers have faced. So, Father, I, I just uh, thank you that you've given us opportunity and continue to with our family and friends. And there certainly are many that we have had opportunity to speak with. And we pray for them, Father, that they wouldn't forget that which we've shared with them. Father, there's there's so many challenges that we see, and yet we know that these challenges open up for us opportunities to share boldly with others. And so, Father, as we see the nation in a constant decline, it seems, uh, with even our leaders uh, so thoroughly dedicated to promoting that very evil which you hate, uh, Father, we just pray for them that they be restrained, that the uh, enemy would be restrained in his continued uh, work there to destroy this nation and its liberties. And, of course, one of its liberties being the freedom to both live uh, and to speak boldly concerning you, Father, uh, and the new life that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ, even eternal life that all are in such need of. So, Father, may we be bold and see the opportunities that you're uh, providing for our witness. So, Father, as we look at your word now, may it be a great blessing to us uh, and to all those that may listen in here uh, on another occasion, Father. May they also be blessed. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Okay, well, we're continuing on. Uh, <clears throat> in a certain sense... I felt that when we got to chapter 17, finally, of the book of Acts, we will, would have entered into uh, sort of the, uh, the prime, <laughs> the prime uh, outreach and, and witness and ministry of the Apostle Paul and, and his associates. And uh, to see this uh, sweep of God's abundant grace uh, as the legal kingdom focus uh, of the earlier days there is set aside 
a new apostle is raised up, uh, namely Paul, and uh, he and his associates are sent forth uh, to the Gentiles. And we see that developing so clearly here at the beginning of the ch- of chapter 17 with the ministry in Thessalonica and then in Berea. And then from Berea onwards, uh, Paul goes forth to be bold, as always, uh, in key places, founding churches, establishing others, and confirming the faith of those that had believed on previous journeys. So uh, we've reached that point here in Acts chapter 17. Paul was only in Thessalonica a few weeks, a little more than three, but he taught them enough for a lifetime, didn't he? And uh, he wrote about that visit later in his letters to the Thessalonians and, and very strongly recommended that the Thessalonians remember everything that he'd already taught them. And he builds on what he had already taught them there in that letter. And there were a number of things we looked at. Uh, First of all, and all I will refer you to today by way of review are in the first chapter there where there are four different uh, areas of focus. And uh, in First Thessalonians, those four areas then are repeated over and over again in all the other chapters, really. <clears throat> so, remembering how God had worked in their midst in delivering them from idolatry uh, and from gross immorality, in some cases, I'm sure, and bringing them into an understanding of who God was, who the Lord Jesus was, and how their salvation was then wrapped up uh, with him in his glorious resurrection. Oh my, what a what an amazing uh, hope they had. It was enough to, to uh, guide them and lead them in life. And in fact, they turned the world upside down, didn't they? Um, so we saw that, as Paul recalls it there, his teaching on the second missionary journey when he first had been there uh, was, uh, or rather on the first missionary journey when he had first been there, uh, was focused in these four areas. First of all, about the truth. Uh, He says, uh, you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. And you were examples to all that believe. So, Uh, They responded to the truth that Paul preached, and it changed their lives. Uh, So much so that uh, they told everyone else. Uh, Today, there's the common view that somehow organized churches are the means of uh, propagation of the truth of the gospel, whereas, in fact, it is individual believers who are the means God chooses to propagate the gospel the assemblies are for building up the saints uh, in the teaching of the word, right? Um, that view is the scriptural one, but it's often ignored in in our day. Well, Paul also focused on other things there uh, in Thessalonica. And uh, he he focused on how important it was 
that individual believers would testify. How important it was that they would testify to others and how it would be so clearly revealed then that they'd turn to God from idols. So their lives spoke volumes, really, uh, concerning their faith. And it wasn't that somehow they were simply moral now and others weren't, or they were uh, complying with certain rules and regulations that the Gentile world didn't uh, hold high. But it seems to me the major focus is that they turned away from idolatry. So it was a matter of their faith. What was their confidence in life in? Was it in the religious system of the day? Is that what they were dedicated to? They previously were, but now they were no longer worshiping idols, it says here. And um, everyone knew it. Everyone knew all about So when Paul traveled around, they'd be saying to Paul, Oh, we know about you and, and what you had preached in Thessalonica because they <laughs> turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So the word had gotten around so completely. Then there was the focus on the reward ultimately. And that's that when the Lord returns, <laughs> they would be caught up to be with him and therefore delivered from the wrath to come. So uh, uh, that's certainly different than what the pagan world had to look forward to. They're looking forward to the judgment when Christ returns to this earth from heaven and establishes his kingdom, this world will be judged and those that are in it. So that the only ones that enter into that kingdom will be his own elect people and not uh, unbelievers. So the reward for believing the truth and cleaving to that is uh, is this future expectation. And so... He says there in the first chapter that their focus was on the waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So that is the emphasis there. And uh, they would not ever be um, within that period of, of uh, tribulation coming upon the earth after the rapture because uh, they were not appointed to wrath, uh, as he communicated to them in the fifth chapter of that first letter to the Thessalonians. God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. Okay, so... Whether you're alert and expectant and waiting and enduring or, or you're, you've kind of lost your focus, nevertheless, the promise is unconditional. Once you have believed, you will be uh, counted worthy and caught up into heaven's glory to meet the Lord in the air and all those that have gone before who have been drawn with him in resurrection bodies to that great meeting point in the sky. So that's our hope and expectation, not the coming tribulation period. So that's a quick review. <clears throat> well, we'll move along quickly now. We have a lot of ground to cover, as it were, and uh, 
I'm not so sure we're going to make it through what I had planned. Uh, probably not. Sadly, really. But um, we can always finish this part up next time. But beginning in verse 13 of chapter 17, uh, Paul now has his focus changed from Thessalonica and then Maria, right, uh, to the capital of the world, <laughs> the capital of the uh, Roman world, at least from the point of view of wisdom and knowledge, uh, and actually in some ways religiously as well. At this point in time, Athens is not the capital of the world as far as the Romans are concerned, but the Roman religion is just imported from Greece. So in that sense, uh, the same uh, system continues just with different names on the different gods and goddesses, right? Um, and the philosophical orientation of and the legal orientation of the Romans was also largely imported from Greece. So, uh, in some sense, Greece is still, at this point in time, uh, the central focal point of the world in all of those areas. And so when Paul gets there, uh, he has a great opportunity set before him. Our outline tonight is, uh, or today, our outline is simple enough. Paul in Athens, pagan capital of the Gentiles. Pagan capital of the Gentiles. <clears throat> so, there are seven points. First of all, Paul's deliverance to Athens as facilitated by the Bereans. Secondly, Paul's witness in the synagogue. The daily dialogue bears little fruit. Hmm. Thirdly, Paul's introduction to the Athenian court is welcomed by the philosophers. <laughs> Fourthly, Paul's initial preaching before the Areopagus. That's the name of the Athenian court, the Areopagus. And that would be challenging each heart. <laughs> challenging each heart. Fifthly, Paul's preaching before the Areopagus, starting with the fundamentals. Starting with the fundamentals. Sixthly, Paul's reception by the Athenians. And it's a big question. Honoring or not, the risen judge. Honoring or not, the risen judge, who, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, Paul's departure from Athens with some few following Paul and believing. Only a few. What a story. What a story. To enter into the uh, pagan capital of the world and to depart with only a few who had believed. Well, let's try to understand how that all came about now. Uh, and, uh, you know, as we do so, I think you'll uh, see a lot of parallels with where we are today in a, uh, not a God-fearing, <laughs> but a God-despising uh, uh, culture and uh, 
and, and people. Okay. Paul's deliverance to Athens is facilitated by the Bereans. Okay, so let's read this, and I'd like uh, Linda to do that. Acts 17, verses 13 through 15. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. And they that conducted Paul brought him into Athens, and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus, for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Okay, thank you, Linda. Well, there, every little phrase here is important. I wish we had time to to spend on them all, but I think you'll get the picture, even though we're going to be skipping some of this by necessity. Okay, so the Jews who were leaders there in the synagogue in Thessalonica, remember, they, for the most part, they did not re- they did not receive well Paul's message concerning the uh, resurrected Lord Jesus and what that meant. And uh, Paul and uh, Silas and Timothy had to, to quickly leave, you, you recall. They went to Berea. Uh, there was a reception in Berea. Again, not so much by the leaders, but uh, nevertheless, there were some that believed. Uh, but <laughs> the ministry in Berea was cut short. Uh, apparently, he wasn't there long at all, but uh, were quick, was quickly delivered by Berean believers out of the city and uh, taken to Athens. Um, they had heard that the Thessalonian uh, Jews uh, were coming to... Um, what arrest and uh, or worse, probably again stone Paul and uh, his associates. So they quickly sent him away. <laughs> Says as it were to the sea. Well, in fact, he didn't go to the sea, but he went to Athens. Uh, that's where they took him. Athens, one of the chief cities of the world at this point in time, for over five hundred years. In fact, Athens was in its decline. Um, its high point was far, far back, centuries before, and now it is in its decline in the world. So, uh, that's the situation. Paul had been delivered with the help of the Brians and uh, now finds himself in Athens, but he finds himself all alone. His Dear associates, Silas and Timothy are still in Berea. And the effect of that on Paul, I think it's hard to overestimate the effect of that on the Apostle Paul. Paul is often influenced by those that are with him or those that are not. He writes a lot about that. You remember in the Corinthian letter, he said, something about Titus. And there were other occasions when Paul expected someone to be with him and they were not. And they were not there ministering with him and they were there not there uh, to actually 
hear his message. Sometimes when I read these verses, I'm thinking about how Paul really needed someone there who understood what he was saying. He's preaching to many who are in the total darkness and in no way comprehend the words he's speaking. Um, and they resist and they, they oppose and they, they, they are in rebellion against the truth of God. Paul really needed some there who understood to give him support, as it were, in prayer. And he can see their faces and be encouraged. And uh, so here's a situation where Paul is now all alone in the pagan capital of the Western world. <clears throat> the effect of that, I think, is hard to overestimate. I think it influences everything that happens from here on to some degree. Okay, well, let's go on to the second part here. Paul's witness in the synagogue. Uh, so um, we'll read of that there in uh, verses 16 and 17. Patty, would you read that for us? Acts 17, 16 and 17. Let's see how Paul's uh, daily dialogues in the synagogue uh, bear mm -hmm. little fruit. Now, while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city totally given to idolatry. Therefore, disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons and in the market daily with them that met him, met with him. Okay, thank you. So Paul's waiting for his associates, he is meeting daily, it says daily. Well, so there are meetings not only on the Sabbath uh, in the synagogue and outside of it, I'm sure. And he's in the market, it says. The agora is the Greek uh, marketplace, not only for commerce, but for ideas. <laughs> uh, imagine that there are many sidewalk cafes, <laughs> in other words, and places to meet, and the people take advantage of that, and they meet there daily, perhaps after uh, operating uh, their their uh, their stands there in the marketplace, right? But they meet and they talk, and they talk about everything you can imagine, uh, and so. Really, uh, it's not only the Jews. It says it's also the devout persons. I take it those are Gentiles. Uh, and he's meeting with them in the market daily. Okay. But Silas and Timothy are not with him. And he's learning a lot about the paganism uh, that's represented there in Athens. Uh, it says his spirit was stirred within him due to the gross idolatry that he saw everywhere around them. The effect of that idolatry on the spirit was kind of overwhelming. Uh, and uh, yet he continues day by day to uh, try to reach out to these who are caught up in idolatry and in pagan philosophy and in general ignorant of uh, what's been accomplished by Almighty God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Athens was the center of idolatry. What we have in Athens is uh, temple worship at its highest level. Uh, as I said before, 
no longer was Athens what it had been in previous centuries, but you still have here evidence of what it had been. You have the Parthenon, which is built on top of a hill, a high, the highest hill around, uh, is a temple uh, to Athena, a temple to Athena, Athena being one of the leading Greek goddesses. All right. And this temple is still there today and still largely preserved. Although we should understand it's not at all today what it was like then. Uh, it was a perfect example of the architecture and, uh, and the building skills of, of the time. A perfect example at that time. The sun was uh, reflecting off of it, no doubt. Uh, and it was an example to all of how God, the gods, the gods, that they believed were real, actually ruled in the affairs of men. Of course, they were really demons they worshipped. So that's the Temple of Athena. In the middle of that temple was a sculpture of the goddess Athena, over 50 feet tall, made out of wood and ivory and silver and gold, and was the most beautiful thing that anyone could ever have seen, okay? Uh, that was in the center of the Parthenon, in the center of the Temple of Athena. Um, oh, my. Athens was named after this temple. Athena, the name of the goddess, right? Athens named after her, okay? But, although Athena and all the other Greeks Greek gods and goddesses, and there are hundreds of them, hundreds of Greek gods and goddesses, meaning idols, hundreds of them in the city of Athens at that time, all perfectly maintained, probably, and a beautiful sight for all, right? No wonder people came from all over the world to visit. But there was also something else in Athens that challenged the old-time Greek religion, and that was philosophy. <laughs> and in fact, that's a major focus here uh, in this section, is it not? It says that there were philosophers in town and uh, there was a direct confrontation between Paul and the philosophers. <clears throat> okay, let's read about that. Uh, Gail, would you try to... Uh, uh, set the stage for that in verses 18 through 21. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Other some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I chuckle also every time I read that, Gail. Thank you. Thank you. So, they're calling uh, Paul by a really derogatory term here. 
verse 18, what will this babbler say? I don't think most of them considered him to be a babbler. Babbler is just the, the, <laughs> the scum of the earth. A babbler is literally the Greek word <laughs> means a seed picker. <laughs> In other words, like a crow, it hops around, it picks up stuff and throws it aside to get something better one foot away, and just, it just goes on through life like this, right? Uh, I don't think the Greeks had a very high view of crows <laughs> or, or uh, seed pickers, and that's what they called Paul, because he came to town speaking about, what does it say here? Jesus and the resurrection, right? But they heard it wrongly. To them, it was Jesus, one new God they'd never heard about before, and Anastasius, or Anastasia, a goddess that they'd never heard of before. Okay, so that's the problem. Okay, so again, as I say, Athens was in its decline. The philosophers were, were still trying to take over. The philosophy... <laughs> Uh, of the leaders there was not that compatible with the old-time religion either. So they had their problems with it. And apparently the rulers of the uh, area who met in uh, high places to consider the matters of the day, right, um, were um, trying to keep the peace. And so here we have the philosophers taking Paul, I don't think they put him in bonds, they just said, hey, come with us. We've got to go down to the uh, high place down the way here. It's called Mars Hill or the Areacobus. Okay? Uh, one is the Latin name and one is the Greek name uh, there. Mars Hill was uh, for many centuries the center of worship of the god Mars, the god of war. Okay, uh, that's the the uh, Roman name for this particular god. The Greek word is Ares. Okay, the god of war, and uh, it was surrounded by monuments to these various false gods uh, that were, as I said, probably places of pilgrimage for many. Right, but in this particular place is where they had established their supreme court. So. This is the Supreme Court in the nation right here. And the philosophers have taken Paul there now so he can be formally, formally interrogated and present more about these new gods so they could either reject them or accept them to be added to the panoply of Greek gods. Okay, probably rejected, <laughs> they hope. And it says, says here uh, a lot um, about this. But think about it this way. This man comes into town. He's talking to everybody in the Agora, right? Um, the philosophers overhear it. Some are Epicurean, it says. Some are Stoics. Well, they didn't agree with each other much. Uh, Epicureans thought that the chief... Uh, goal of mankind ought to be happiness. How does one gain the most happiness in life? It's a hard, cruel world, so 
to attain to happiness is not straightforward, right? So the Epicureans were focused on that. The Stoics, on the other hand, were not focused on that. They were focused on uh, logic, reason, and understanding, uh, believing that many things were beyond the control of man, and one had to somehow uh, just set one's course. Uh, and not respond to the passions of the flesh at all, because they would surely lead one astray. So you had these two different philosophical perspectives that were dominant here, at least in this particular group and on this particular occasion. And so they want to know about these new gods, this one named Jesus and this one named Anastasia. By the way, you might think that's rather odd. The Greek word for resurrection is anastasis, right? Um, so why would they think you're talking about a god or a goddess, right? Well, in fact, this word and therefore this name comes to be very popular in Christianized Western Europe. And Asia, okay? Would you believe it? Until 2008, meaning 15 years ago, okay? Anastasia was the most popular girl's name in Russia. In fact, several, you know, wives of the emperors <clears throat> named Anastasia. In fact, the daughter of, of, uh, of the uh, <laughs> of the emperor who was uh, um, assassinated along with his entire family was named, named Anastasia. Remember the stories about her, right? Okay, um, that was the most popular girl's name in Russia until 2008. That's been supplanted now, supplanted with the name Sophia, which is now the most popular. Yeah, not all were named Anastasia, but there are various abbreviations and so forth uh, uh, of that. But in most of Europe, Anastasia is still a very popular name, and there are a number of country, uh, countries in Europe where it's still the dominant name. So then he wanted to be named Anastasia um, in the Christian world, as it were, right? This all derives from from uh, the fact that the Greek word for resurrection is the same. Okay, well, I, I I mention all that just because I think you need to try to grasp onto what's happening here. These philosophers bring Paul there to speak before the Supreme Court of Athens, right? And uh, he's quite. I think he's sort of you might say unprepared for this. Uh, he's been going synagogue to synagogue, preaching about the resurrected Jesus, Israel's Messiah, right? Uh, and some few Jews believe, and other Gentiles, uh, many of them had been Jewish proselytes uh, attending the synagogue worship, or others that he met in the marketplace or wherever. But uh, that was Paul's ministry as he went city to city. Now he's in the center of the world, or so it seems. And being required to present these new gods <laughs> before uh, the Supreme Court. That's a strange situation. 
Let's go on to the next section because Paul is going to speak forth now. And I, I believe that his preaching will be bolder than you can imagine when you realize what, what's happened. You'll see how bold he really was there that day. So, uh, Charlie, would you read for us, please, Acts chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. Well, that's how bold Paul was. He got right to the point, right to the very heart of the issue, uh, <laughs> introducing really the subject at hand. I mean, he hasn't given the gospel out here yet. I mean, you might wonder why he's delaying. Well, I think he's going to delay a little longer, too. But uh, he is going. He is looking for an opening, and he begins in this way, which I find to be quite remarkable. For there was a statue in Athens and was carved on it these words, To the unknown God. He says, you go there and worship. He says, I see your devotions occurring there. You who are so educated in the matters of this world. Some may be very religious, others uh, more of the philosophical bent. But right here in the center of Athens is this monument. And it says right on it, it is to the unknown God. Well, for this to even exist in Athens is kind of incredible, isn't it? They had hundreds of gods they thought they knew very much about. Gods that controlled everything in this earth, everything in life, right? Uh, and that's why worshiping them in Athens was so important to them, right? You also have philosophers. All they are focused on is knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. So why would they have a monument to the unknown god? And so Paul takes advantage of that and says, you're just too religious. You're so religious. It's amazing. This is how religious you are. You even have a monument to the unknown God. <laughs> That's sort of like the ultimate, right? <laughs> even the God you don't know you have a monument for. <laughs> and I think that's the point of his opening statement here. I do think that would have opened the hearts of some who were listening that day. Then he goes on to very matter-of-factly address the rest of the issue. Okay? And uh, we've reached the end of our time. Let me just read this passage here because I... I do want you to uh, have this in mind throughout the week, and we'll go on from here next time and finish up. But uh, Paul preaches here now before the Supreme Court of the nation, starting with the fundamentals. And I think this is important to realize. This isn't Paul's whole story. Paul is a long-winded sort of fellow, normally speaking. This is just the introduction <laughs> okay, the fundamentals, and uh, and this is what he said. 
Verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, and seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply or if perchance they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. For as much then are we the, as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. Oh my. Uh, when he gets to the rest of the story, <laughs> it's going to be something else indeed, isn't it? Now that's in the rest of the chapter. But uh, we'll get there next time. But let me just say this. What Paul is doing is just an introduction, okay? And he's doing what he did in other places. He did the same in, uh, in other cities on his missionary journey, where he, he spoke about what they all should have already known, because God had already clearly revealed himself in the creation and in his uh, sustenance of the creation in his his uh, management of the world uh, down through the centuries for the benefit of mankind and yet mankind who should have known about God his creative power and glory and should have known that that made man what not only dependent on the Lord God, but also obligated <laughs> to the Lord God, and in fact uh, should have convinced all that mankind was in desperate need of salvation from the Lord God, right? Uh, they should have all known this. Remember in Romans chapter 1, Paul wrote about that, where he said, you all should know just by looking around the power and glory of God. He created it all. Examine it and see, and you will know that he is, right? And so, therefore, mankind in no way uh, should be building idols, dead idols, carving them out of wood and stone and so forth, uh, gilding them with gold leaf, whatever, uh, worshiping them as if somehow they're gods. This is completely contrary to uh, all that has been revealed in the creation. Now, if a person does not already understand that, are they ready to hear the rest of the story? And I think that's just the point. Uh, they are declared to be guilty before God by the revelation that's already there. If somebody instead is accepting the false teachings of the philosophers, then they will be believing something entirely different, right? And something fundamentally incompatible with what the gospel indicates, right? So Paul is 
preaching Jesus and the resurrection to, as it were, deaf ears. Uh, and I think he's kind of overwhelmed by the whole thing. As I said before, there will be some who believe, however, but I think not primarily there on Mars Hill that day. And we'll learn about that next time. We'll see that two are mentioned by name who believed on this day. And then Paul immediately leaves town uh, and uh, goes onward on this journey. Um, Timothy and Silas were not there to hear these words. If they had been, I think they they they, they would have uh, never forgotten. <laughs> Indeed, um, what a day it was! Jesus and the resurrection—not two new gods to be added to the panoply of Greek gods, but the true Son of God. Uh, raised gloriously from the dead. Some lives were changed that day. You know, we reach out in a similar time when other gods and goddesses are promoted everywhere. They may not be called gods and goddesses. Uh, it's just today the desires of the flesh that rule, right? Uh, but there are many, there are many caught up in New Age religion today, and they'd be very happy to tell you that it is a new kind of spirituality that the whole world is now experiencing. Satan's lies are being well received, and this is all, of course, a preparation for that day when Satan himself will visibly manifest himself in Jerusalem, in the Holy of Holies. So, praise God, we'll not be living in those times, but we'll be delivered perhaps today. Perhaps today. So, we do love his appearing, do we not? Mm -hmm. And praise the Lord for that hope. Amen and amen. So, I hope it's been enlightening to see what Paul faced that day in Athens and... Uh, how he began to speak to the people in ways that perhaps they, or some of them at least, might begin to understand. Praise God. I don't think he got to the end of his message, though. I think he just eventually packed up and walked off the hill, and uh, a few followed along to learn even more about our Lord Jesus Christ. And praise the Lord for that. It wasn't a great revival that day. But God still accomplished his purpose in Athens. You can be sure of that. Well, praise the Lord. I hope all have been enjoying this time as we've gone through the book of Acts and seen how uh, in raising up Paul, God uh, brings the message of grace place to place, city to city, here a little, there a little, as it were, that uh, many might come to know him. Praise the Lord. Well, are there any comments before we close today? I think, I think this is a, an, an example of how those people who think they're so smart and, and so intellectual, yes. it's very difficult for them to understand, you know, Christ 
it's it's you know they just see themselves as so smart and yes. they love knowledge and they <laughs> love what they think is intelligence. I just think this is a, a early example of what we see today. It sure is, isn't it? Oh yes. Uh, remember what Luther said in that great hymn? He said, "A little word will fell them." Right? <laughs> They're just like, "Whoa! What do you mean, Jesus?" Right? <laughs> Yeah. Can we make an idol to him? And there, yeah, there are many who do make idols to him, aren't there? Yes. Well, you you look at our elite today, and I can see most of them sitting on Mars Hill, feeling <laughs> very confident. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Thank you, Linda. Very, very good comment. Any other comments, anyone? <laughs> okay. Well, let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you again for gathering us today. And uh, yes, there is much here in your word that uh, speaks to our hearts. For we live in a world much like the world they lived in at that time. Things have further developed in a lot of respects, but uh, in essence, not that different from Paul's day. And so we face the same challenges uh, he did. And... uh, He's, as it were, running from city to city, <laughs> uh, lest he have a short life, indeed. Uh, but God does open, you do, Father, open uh, open the hearts of those that would hear. So, praise the Lord for that. And, Father, may we be blessed as we consider our opportunities and privileges this coming week to believe, study, uh, live, and to boldly share all that you mean to us, and that we would do so with confidence that you are working in a great way in our midst. And we do thank you in Christ's name, and amen.